going to have a conversation up here. It's going to yes. be more like a, a podcast type where, you know, we didn't really prepare a ton. Ooh, podcast. Sort of, right? Yeah. We're just talking. Mm-hmm. Um, we prepared a little bit. We know what, basically we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. I prepared the most. I texted them both yesterday yeah, I and I said, yeah. I, you guys, I have to study this. This can't just, oh, no, I'm no. not just there yet. Trust yourself. Trust I spent yourself. like 16 hours on this. Yeah, this sure you did. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think you put about five minutes in this morning. No, you, th- no. you think about all this stuff. So we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. We really are. And this invitation of Jesus for us to join the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, you know, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, it really is something that is so, um, it could feel so intangible, right? What is this kingdom of heaven? Is it after I die? You know, what, what is this whole thing? But the reality is that Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven the most, we can't understand the teaching and the life of Jesus unless we understand what he's talking about with the kingdom of heaven. The first words out of his mouth were repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we'll talk about that in a minute. One of the last words out of his mouth was my kingdom is not of this earth, which is kind of trippy because during the time of Jesus, they were all about earthly kingdoms, building the big Roman empire. You know, some people thought the, the Jewish kingdom is going to somehow overcome the Roman empire. And they had their hope in a physical, tangible human kingdom with a king and governance and you know, a place, right? Boundaries and borders. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. What does that even mean? So Steve, answer it all now. What does it mean? Yeah, I'll have you answer today. You'll know it today. But yeah, the kingdom of God has been an interesting journey for me. I I brought a book up here by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. Absolutely fantastic. And Dallas Willard, probably about 12 years ago, really got me thinking differently about this. Um, You know, I came from a background of kind of like the kingdom of God's there. You're going to get to it after you die. And I got to see him live once. And he said, the good news is not how to get to the kingdom after you die, but how to get to the kingdom before. That just began me on a journey with, with him of saying like, what are we talking about then? And you start thinking about the teachings of Jesus and you, and you have Jesus in Luke 17, for instance, they're asking him when the kingdom is coming and is, is this what it looks like? And he says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. Then I began to go, wait a minute. Okay. There's something here and now I'm missing. And, and that journey now for the last 10, 12 years has been huge for me to sit there and realize that, how do I look at today? You know, I love what you said about Jesus. He said, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom's here, not there. It's now, not someday. And sometimes I might over talk that, but it's changed everything for today for me and how I see it, how I look at my mindset. And that really kind of stemmed from Dallas Willard, really mm-hmm. talking about that what goes on in our heads and how we see this is huge and how we see it as now and what's that mean and what I'm not looking for anymore. You know, it's, it's a big deal and it's, it is. it's been a big journey and I'm still on it. And, and one of my, in, in um, Romans, he talks about that the kingdom of heaven is virtue, peace, and joy in the spirit. Oh, wait a minute. It's not about having everything go perfectly. It's about something going on even when things are in chaos and not going perfectly, the kingdom of God is still advancing and moving in my life. And so, yeah, it's been a, an amazing journey of, and a lot of changing the way I see things. And it's our, our journey as a church as well, you know, that we are, I think, uniquely about establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth. That is what Jesus called us to pray for, right? Is, is pray that the kingdom of heaven would, would come to earth, right? Uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, Carissa, one of Jesus' first phrases, I mean, truly, I think his actual first phrase in his public, public ministry was repent 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's near. Now, repent is kind of a, could be an ominous word, but there's really an invitation in that word to think differently. Well, that's exactly what it means. Mm-hmm. And so I think oftentimes many of us have grown up with repent being this heavy, authoritative word when really it, it literally is translated to change. And Dallas actually says, rethink the way you think. That that was the invitation when Jesus said, repent. It was rethink the way that you think. Is it possible that the way that you're thinking about God and the way that you're thinking about yourself and the world and other people, that that needs to be rethought? Mm -hmm. So this invitation to change the way that you are thinking, change your focus, your attention, the way that you think you need to do things in order to be happy, in order to have life, rethink that. And it, 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 I don't know if you're feeling it right now, but when, when, when that word is shifted in, our, in us, it shifts us, right? right? It, it goes from feeling heavy and dark and gloomy and to like, wait a second, maybe there's, maybe there's some freedom here. Maybe there's some lightness here. Well, that, that word repent, changing your mind, and that implies changing your mind for the better, right? Changing your mind for the better. Jesus was looking at the landscape of how people were thinking about the kingdom of God. And they wanted, many of them wanted to take up swords and battle for this kingdom, battle against the Roman empire, shed blood, gain political power. I mean, that was the culture of the time of Christ, kingdom versus kingdom. And Jesus says, there's a whole new way of of thinking here. And it's about belief and faith. Now that's a fairly new concept. You read the Old Testament, you, you don't find the words belief and faith very often in the Old Testament because that was Israel vying for political power for military victories, right? So there, it was about devotion and obedience to a, a kingdom, a nationality. Very little does the Old Testament talk about faith and belief. Well, then you look at the ministry of Jesus and he's inviting people, believe, 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 believe something different about the kingdom, believe something different about God, believe something different about you, believe something different about the world. And it was radically torquing their brains, radically because they used to think of God as distant and judgy and condemning. Jesus says, no, change your mind for the better. Think of him as a loving heavenly father. Don't think of yourself as always terrible and sinful and bad. Think of yourselves as a dearly loved child. Don't think of the world as us versus them, me versus you. Think of the world as sort of this global family on a journey together of discovering God and loving one another. And Jesus was saying, that change of mind is incredibly difficult. You've talked about the mental ruts and how to change a mental rut. Yeah, it's hard. Before we go there, can I yes. circle back to the kingdom though? No. Because. <laughs> yes. It's a podcast. Can we I can do whatever back, we want. Can I circle back to the kingdom, Steve? Okay. And I ask this because long time journey like Steve with this, this idea, this concept of the kingdom. And for me, it, it can feel very lofty and heady and almost like it's this kind of thing that I maybe have some language for, but what in the world does it actually mean? And how does it apply to my life and my parenting and my marriage and my workplace and all of the pieces? And Dallas helped me with this. So Dallas is the guy that I go to yeah. when, it, when he's talking about the kingdom. And part of what he's helped us to understand is the kingdom, yes, it's within, but it's where what God wants done is done. So if we think of God, like you talked about, as a good and loving and kind heavenly father, the kingdom is where God, where what God wants done is done. And if that is within us, Dallas teaches that the, the kingdom is God in action. So this is where we experience grace that we cannot earn. God is in action, bringing good on our behalf, often in ways that we can't understand or even see with our eyes. It's the presence of the spirit, he says, that God is always with us, 
through the Spirit in our suffering, in the aftermath of our suffering, regardless of what's happening. And then the third piece is Jesus is alive. And I think this is where we get to experience this invitation to new life, mm-hmm. to revival, kind of like what we sang earlier. He's just reviving our, uh, the places where we've experienced death or suffering or disappointment. And so if I can kind of go in my head like, okay, if I'm supposed to seek first the kingdom of God, what am I seeking? Well, I'm seeking to notice that God is in action in my life through grace, the presence of the Spirit with me always, and that Jesus is alive. And what does that mean for where I'm at today and now? And that, for me, is something that I want more of and more of. And then I start to scratch the surface, and then I go, okay, wait, I want more of that because we never, I think, get to the depths of all that is available to us in the kingdom. So what you're talking about is a right here, right now experience with the living Christ, which is what we'll talk about on Easter, uh, united with God by the spirit of God and a loving, gracious father who is with us no matter what, giving us peace in any circumstance. And Steve, you talk about that, that quite a bit is that, you know, this idea of kingdom of heaven is not about a future, better world ahead. It's not even about after we die. It's about right here, right now, even if my life is not going particularly well, even if my head is in a bad spot, my emotions are in a bad spot, I can experience the fullness of the kingdom of heaven, the presence of God, the living Jesus, united by the spirit of God right now. Yeah, when you, Chris, when you talk about like he's at work in my midst, like often for me, I'm right away, I'm thinking, yeah, peace and joy, guarding my heart and mind, not changing the world around me, changing me, and then we're the image bearers changing the world around us. I mean, when I start thinking differently, everything goes differently. When, when I start seeing things differently, uh, Dal- and by the way, if you don't know Dallas Willard, he was the dean of the USC Department of Philosophy and an incredible godly man. So a Christian, follower of Jesus. So look him up. <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> Dallas. Oh, where's Dallas? He's back there in the back. But he said something that really stuck out to me in this book. He said, first, we must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom. Man, to accept right now? No, God's doing something. Get me out of here is usually what we're thinking. And Dallas got me to think, no, help me to think differently here instead of get me out of here. And I think when we can change how we see what's going on around us, that's actually more powerful than when things change. Because that becomes, that becomes a deeper rooted attitude and the way I see things. He, he goes on to say, God is yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. And if we faithfully discard situation after situation, moment after moment as being not right, do you ever feel that? I'm not right. I should be better. That's not right. I need to get to, need to get to. It's like we're chasing the fruit of the garden all over again. He says, if we see it as not right, we will simply have no place to receive his kingdom into our life for those situations and moments are our life. And so that idea of peace, the kingdom of peace being brought into that kingdom through the power of the spirit of seeing differently, of allowing the peace to guard my heart and mind, this peace that surpasses understanding. Yeah, yeah, that has become like what I'm seeking in my heart and mind, what I pray for for others that are in chaotic and difficult circumstances. Yeah, I love when everything lines, aligns and everything goes right. Don't get me wrong. I'm not looking for things to fall apart. But at the same time, I'm trying to work at trusting and have an attitude that he's here in me, that peace can guard me. 
And when I'm guarded by that peace, I can then be an agent of that peace. And we talk about advancing the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. That to me is the foundation of it. You know, we're the temple. It's not this temple on the hill where a king lives now and oh, we're the servants and it's up there. It's now us. That, okay, there we go. So the kingdom's here and we are this moving temple that's touching people's lives. And so if I experience peace, I bring peace. So uh, the kingdom of heaven right here, right now, in every circumstance, God in action, giving us peace, giving us the sense of love and acceptance that we can then shape the world around us. Getting to that different mindset is really difficult. So we're gonna get back to the ruts. You're not gonna get us off of it. Yeah. It's so hard to rethink how we think about God. It's so hard to rethink how we think about ourselves. It's so hard to rethink how we perceive the world. How do we get out of these, these ruts that have been dug in sometimes since we were little kids? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that faith comes by hearing. We have to hear that there's a different way of thinking, a different way of seeing the world. That's why, you know, Jesus is announcing, he's proclaiming this good news. And so it starts with this new thought. Well, part of what makes this difficult is we have all been thinking thoughts since we've had connections and neural connections in our brains. And the more we think a thought, the more those neurons fire together and wire together, and then it gets reinforced and the connection becomes stronger. And then what we don't often know is that we're thinking thoughts without realizing that we're thinking thoughts. So these would be the unconscious belief patterns that are really dictating much of our life, much of our behavior, much of the way that we see the world. And we may not even necessarily know what the actual message is. And so where we have some free and I think with a lot of grace from God is he invites us to pay attention to what we think about, to begin to notice what are some of these thought patterns, what are some of these beliefs that I have about God, about myself, about others that are not in alignment with goodness and truth, okay? And then what I love that I've learned, and he and I were just talking about how neuroscience keeps changing. And so I think this is still... Uh, what neuroscience is saying is that when we bring a thought to conscious thought, so, you know, it's been under the surface for a long time, and then all of a sudden we are thinking about, thinking about how we view God and how God views us, okay? So I'm going to use the example of like, you know, God is distant. If we're thinking, I think God is distant, all of a sudden that connection becomes malleable. So it goes from being this hardwired rut in our brain that's just, you know, over and over and over again to being malleable where we actually can begin to change the thought. So we challenge it. Is that true? Well, no. And is it helpful? No, absolutely not. So what do we want to replace it with? Well, we want to replace it with God is with me. In fact, we live and move and have our being in God. And so as we change it and over and over and over again, and we reinforce it, then we begin to shut down that old pathway. It actually dries up, takes a lot of time and intentionality and the grace of God, and we create a new pathway. And in the beginning, it's a lot of work to think that right. new thought, but over time, it becomes an unconscious, normal thing that we don't even have to think about. And, and especially when it comes to matters of faith, it's even more difficult to change that because there's a weight around what we believe. The weight is, what if I believe something wrong? So we've been taught our whole lives to believe that God is distant and angry and, and condemns our sin, right? As one example. So we've been taught that from the time we were this big. We heard it in church, we hear it from children's ministries and youth pastors and all that stuff. That rut is so deep, we have no idea. So even the thought of recognizing the thought and changing the thought, now there's a sense of, wow, 
if God is distant and angry and condemning, what if I entertain changing that thought? And then now the weight of that is, is a lot. So when we talk about changing what we believe about God, I don't think there's anything more difficult than that. It identifies who we are, it identifies our community. And so, you know, when, when we have discussions that challenge sort of the, the norm of say, you know, modern Christian faith, people get so riled up because those ruts are so deep. But that's what Jesus came to challenge. He came to challenge those ruts and he came to turn those things around. It got him crucified. That's how hard it is to change what we believe about God. Is the son of God was crucified because he was trying to change what we believe about God, trying to change what we believe about ourselves and trying to change what we believe uh, about the world around us. So you guys, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I greatly appreciate that, Steve and Carissa. Let's thank them for their ministry of teaching here. We are talking about belief. We're talking about faith. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven in our minds, in our brains, because this is where it resides, right here. The kingdom of heaven is not something we get to when we die. We certainly believe there is life after death and eternal life for sure. But what Jesus was inviting us to is right here, right now, between our ears, in our minds, to experience the kingdom of God, to think about God differently, to think about ourselves differently, to think about the world around us differently. As we mentioned earlier in the Old Testament, there's not a lot of talk about faith and belief because it was about an earthly kingdom. Here comes Jesus now and he's saying, listen, all of this quest for power, this quest for a more powerful king, a more powerful nation that takes over the other nations, can we put that to, to rest? And can we say the kingdom of heaven is not about earthly grabbing of power for me or my tribe or my nation or my people, but this is about a global journey of discovering more truly who God is, what he thinks of us, his heart for us, more truly believing who we are, dearly loved children of God. Here's how Jesus puts it. He says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. A couple of things right there. It's not about our external devotion, our external obedience, our external doctrine, it's about this journey of believing Jesus. We believe in God. We have right now eternal life. Jesus wasn't talking about after we die. He says, right now, you believe the message of Jesus. You're living in eternal life. You're living in the kingdom of heaven. It's about what we believe, how we think about God. Then later, the apostle Paul says this, can we boast then that, what we, have, that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our standing with God is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. There it is again, faith and belief are interchangeable. It's the Greek word, uh, pistis. It's what we believe. It's what we think that determines whether or not we have eternal life right here and right now, whether we can experience the kingdom of heaven right here and right now. It's about what we believe, being more aligned with the kingdom of heaven, more aligned with the thoughts of Christ. But changing our mind about God is very, very difficult. In fact, <clears throat> the Bible compares to changing our thoughts about God to war, war. You've heard of the term spiritual warfare? For those of you who are children of the 80s and the 90s, it's like, you know, angels and demons and sword fights invisibly. And I, the, the spiritual warfare is right here. It's in our brains. The battle of what we think about God, it's right here. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it later in the, Old, in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, four through five. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So he's talking about the fortresses, about what we believe about God. Listen to this. We are destroying arguments in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought 
captive to the obedience of Christ. It's all in the head. Our knowledge of God, our thoughts of God are at war. And so you might have, have been raised thinking God is distant or God is angry or God is condemning. And so the thought that God is, is loving and for you and even proud of you, that's a, that's a war going on because those ruts are so deep and it is so ingrained in our upbringing, maybe in our family, in our church life, in our relationship with God, that changing that is so incredibly difficult. If you were taught you are just a, a wretch and a sinner deserving God's wrath, if you were taught that from the time you were young, you've identified yourself as a, as a wretch and as a sinner. And that's how you perceive yourself. So you look at yourself as everything that's wrong and all the things you have to do to clean up your life in order to somehow you know, please God. These ruts go so deep. In fact, some of you here live and online, you're at war right now in your head because we're challenging things that perhaps you've been taught from the time you were this big. And it's a warfare, taking thoughts captive, destroying arguments that are set up against God. These are the things that have to get worked through. These are the battles that have to be waged, how we think about God. And so the invitation of Jesus is to challenge the way we think about God. Let me put it this way. What we believe has immense power over us, but we also have immense power over what we believe. I'm gonna say that again. What we believe has immense power over us. The things that we were taught, the things that we took in about God, about ourselves, about the world around us has immense power over us. But as Chris has said earlier, we have the power over what we believe. We can change what we believe. Every once in a while, I just flippantly say, oh, just change what you believe about God. Just like that's no big deal. I say, I, just for fun, because I know how hard it is. Uh, when I was confronting some of the, the old ways I believed about God, it was a war. It was a three-year war. I was in the scripture and I was reading voraciously because I was starting to think new thoughts about God that maybe he isn't looking at me saying, hey, buddy, do better. Believe all the right things. Behave the right way. Be devout in your religious devotion. Maybe that's not what God wants of me. Maybe he wants me to enjoy just being a child of God declared forgiven, perfect in his eyes. And he just wants me to know how loved I am and how embraced I am, uh, no matter what, that God just unconditionally loves me and embraces me and with a smile on his face says, you're my perfect son. I mean, the ruts that I had that had to be filled in in order to, to, to think a different thought about God, it took me three solid years. So when I flippantly say, I'll just change what you believe, I know how difficult it is. But to go through that spiritual warfare and then to come out on the other side, not having all the answers, but you're in a better spot. You're in the kingdom of heaven that just enjoys the love of God, receives the love of God, redefines the relationship with God, and then allows us to then be more pleasant to the people around us, to be more loving, to be more gracious, to be more kind, to be more forgiving. Why? Because that's who we believe of God now. It's really quite an amazing thing. Um, one of the reasons it's so hard to change what we believe about God is because religion has the same effect on our brains as drug addiction. Uh, I believe it was Marx who said that religion is the uh, opi op opiate of the people, right? He was actually right. He didn't know it at the time, but when we have a religious experience, it's the same uh, chemical reaction in our brain as taking drugs or even sexual activity. It's, it's powerful. And, and so religion is, in a sense, a bit of a chemical addiction. And so when somebody says, hey, change what you believe, you know, alter what maybe you grew up with to think and believe something different, more aligned with the kingdom of heaven, 
It's almost like detoxing from drug addiction. It is that powerful in our brains. So I understand how difficult it is. It is extraordinarily difficult. Let me give you just a couple of um, examples about the power of belief, all right? Let's say you go to work tomorrow morning and your boss starts saying, hey, um, maybe you could do this a little better, maybe you could do this a little differently, right? Your boss just starts to bring some correction. What if you believed that your boss is out to get you fired? What if you believe that? Well, now you're gonna be nervous. Now you're gonna be freaking out. You're gonna be protecting yourself and he's, he's correcting me and, or she's correcting me and, and I'm gonna get fired and your anxiety rises and maybe your performance is bad and you get all nervous and you're not sleeping at night just because you believe your boss is gonna fire you. But what if you believe something different? What if you believe your boss is actually out to help you succeed? You see how belief changes everything? Now I can embrace this journey and I can say, yeah, let me know how I can do better. Did I do this okay? Is there something I can do to improve? It's a game changer, just what we believe. Same circumstance, but what we believe is a game changer. Let's say you find out you're adopted. A lot of people have been adopted here and a lot of people have adopted others here. It's, but you find out you're adopted. Two ways to believe. One, what if you believed your biological mom rejected you? And I know people who have spent their entire life with the burden that my biological mom rejected me. But you could change your belief. What if you believe your biological mom loved you deeply and only wanted the best for you? Same circumstance, just two different ways of believing that change everything. One is full of burden and rejection and the other is full of life and wonder and love. This one's kind of funny, but for some of you, it won't be funny. Let's say you're, uh, you see your spouse's phone on the tabletop and a text pops up that says this, it's been a while, let's get together for lunch, just us two. There's two ways to take that text. You can believe your spouse is having an affair, cheating on you. Or you can believe that they're just connecting with an old friend. Same text. You see the power of belief? It could take us into the darkest places or it could take us into wonderful places. The power of belief. So when we say the invitation of Jesus is to experience the kingdom of heaven by changing what we believe, that's what we're talking about. A lot of people have been burdened with beliefs about God that have led them into very dark places. I'll give you the stats, right? This is out of Baylor University. 32% believe God is authoritarian. 16% believe God is critical. 24% believe God is distant. That's American faith, which means if my math is right, 72% of us think unhealthy thoughts about God. Now, if you were raised thinking God is authoritarian, critical of us, distant from us because of our sin and failures, that does something to us. It defines the relationship with God. I need to appease him. I need to make him happy. He's angry with me. He's gonna get me. He's gonna condemn me. He's gonna wreck my life if I'm not good enough or right enough. We live our whole lives like that. That defines us. It defines our relationships. It defines everything. 72% of Americans think unhealthy thoughts about God. That has to be changed because this makes a deep impact. But what if you believe something different? 23% believe that God is benevolent, gracious, and kind. 23% of Americans believe something more correct about God. He's benevolent, gracious, and kind. That's what Jesus was trying to teach. When he told all these stories about who God is, like he's the prodigal father who's wayward son, he's just always looking for the horizon and embracing him when he comes home, just as he is. Jesus is trying to recast our thinking about God. He is benevolent and gracious and kind. Here's the power of believing wrong things about God. 
Uh, Romans 1.21, the Apostle Paul is evaluating how people really don't think well about their relationship with God or who God is. And here's what he says. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. When we think things about God that aren't aligned with the kingdom of heaven, our minds become dark and confused. We start living in guilt and shame, or maybe if we think we're the right ones, then we start judging others. So darkness and confusion comes when we don't think thoughts of God aligned with the kingdom of heaven. However, according to Hebrews 3.1, we could think carefully about Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger. There's the other side. Instead of thinking thoughts that aren't aligned with the kingdom of heaven, let's look to Jesus. And, and to, to think and believe Jesus is the messenger who came to show the fullness of who God is. And so we're gonna trust Jesus. We're gonna trust what he says. We're gonna trust what he does. And we're gonna see the fullness of God in Jesus. And we're gonna think carefully about that. It's all in the mind. Thoughts about God that aren't aligned with the kingdom of heaven turn into darkness and guilt and shame and judgment. Thoughts that are aligned with the kingdom of heaven, specifically aligned around the person of Jesus Christ, that is light and life emerges. It's a beautiful thing. Let me put it to you this way. What we believe about God shapes what we value. It shapes our worldview, the sanctity of human life, what love is, what really matters, the nature of every relationship, the very meaning and purpose of our existence, all of that comes from what we believe about God. There's nothing more personally defining than what we think about God. So don't we want what we think about God to be aligned with Jesus? Proverbs 23, seven says, for as he thinks within his heart, so he is. As we think, so we are. As we think about God, so we are. As we think about ourselves, so we are. As we think about others, so we are. So we're invited to a journey to think differently about God, about ourselves, and about others. So can we really change that? Can we really control what we believe about God? And if so, how? Can we control what we believe about God? And if so, how? The short answer is yes, we can change what we believe about God. But as we've mentioned, it's exceedingly difficult. Uh, I brought some, some stuff. So uh, sorry, camera people, but... Um, I brought some uh, rebar and I actually just stole it from the construction site right outside. So I'll be putting this back. Here's some rebar. Now, you know how powerful I am. I could totally bend this at, at will, right? I could to totally do it. I just don't want it right now. So this is steel. It is very difficult to bend. This is, these are the religious ruts in our mind, right? They've been, they've been forged over a lifetime in our home life, at our Sunday school, in our youth group, especially youth group. I mean, I'm, one day I'm gonna write a book about the power of the youth pastor, um, because here you have these formative brains that are, that are becoming increasingly complex in their thinking, and, and what a youth pastor just pours into students could shape someone's thought about God for the rest of their lives. I'm telling you, it is normal for a 70-year-old, lifelong professional captain of their industry to think exactly the same things about God than they did when they were in youth group. That is the power of religious thinking. And so bending it and shaping it is very difficult. So that's why you have to have what, you know, scripture calls the gospel, the good news. And this is a rebar bender. Um, this is made for rebar much bigger than this, but uh, I'm gonna see if I could pull this off here. Um, what we do is we just take this little tool and then it's super easy to bend, right? You bend it, but you need a tool. We can't really do this on our own. It is so hard. We need the tool, which is the good news of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It says, you know what? 
It is hard to reshape our thinking about God, but you can do it. Let's go. You can do it, right? Let's go. We can do this together. We can look at God's word. We can look at the life of Jesus. And we can say, okay, Jesus is challenging conventional religious thinking that says God is distant and God is angry and God is condemning and God is critical. And we can change that to say he's a loving heavenly father. Walk this journey with us. You know, embrace the fact that that at any moment, at any time, no matter what you've done, no matter what you think, God is right there with you. He doesn't even see your failures. He doesn't even see them. They're gone. To, to believe the word of God that says we were forgiven of every wrong we've ever done before time even began. So wherever we think we're distant from God because of guilt or we're not good enough or not religious enough, we need a tool. Think differently. Identify that thought. Right here, right now, no matter what, God is right there with you and he smiles upon you and he declares you perfect in his eyes. That's who you are. It takes a lot, a lot, a lot to get there. I'm gonna put it in, again, two phrases. Let's think differently about God. So what if you believe God is a stern judge, right? What if you believe God is a stern judge? What's that gonna do to your life? What's that gonna do to your relationship with God? If you believe God is a stern judge and you're gonna pray to him right now, how are you gonna pray? You're gonna pray thinking, oh, how glorious God is and perfect he is and how sinful you are. And you're gonna pray with guilt. And you're gonna maybe work through some things in your brain that you might've been taught when you were young. Well, you gotta confess your sin and repent of your sin and you know, just be a better person and then God will somehow feel closer to you and then he might answer some prayers because you've been good. These are the things we learn when we're this big and we take them to our adulthood. So a new way of thinking says right here, right now, God, you are right here with me. You love me 100%. You have forgiven me of everything ever, past, present, future, forgiven before the foundation of the universe. You forgave me and you declare me your perfect daughter, your perfect son. So what if we believe God is a loving father? What if we believe God is a loving father? How does that change everything? How does that change how we pray right now, right? We're gonna have a smile on our face and just thank God that he's near and he's with us He's always for us, even proud of us. He's proud of us. He's proud of our efforts. He's proud of how we're, you know, maybe trying to treat people better and trying to overcome some things that we know aren't great. Not because he's this brooding judge that's gonna get us, but because he's a loving father who cares for us. Changes everything. What we believe changes everything. That's the kingdom of heaven. How about thinking differently about ourselves? What if you believe you are a sinner worthy of God's wrath? What if you believe you're a sinner worthy of God's wrath? How many of you were raised with that, right? Don't answer, no, please. From our, the youngest ages, you're a sinner deserving God's wrath, and we tell kids this, and even you caused the death of Jesus. It's, you know, we talked about that a few weeks ago. We'll talk about it at Sunday seminary coming up at the end of uh, April. We look forward to that. But if we've been told our whole lives that we are a wretch, that we are a sinner deserving God's wrath, that does something to us. Now we see ourselves as failures. We see ourselves as condemned. And now we have to get better in order to somehow make God happier with us, right? But what if we believe something different? What if we believe you're a dearly loved, blameless child of God? What if you believe you're a dearly loved, blameless child of God? Wouldn't that be such an incredibly freeing experience that there's nothing that separates me from God, not even my own failures? And then, and then when I do fail, it's not that I'm, I'm gonna receive God's judgment but God is gonna say, hey, listen, I want the best for you, right? So, you know, better choices are better. They're better for you and better for others. So let's walk a grace-filled journey 
of being more loving and more kind, right? Changes everything. How about thinking differently about others? What if you believe God loves only the true and right believers? God really loves only the true and right believers. Everybody else is condemned, eternally condemned, but God really loves the true and right believers. If that's what we think, how are we gonna behave in this world? How are we gonna judge the world? I'm the right and I'm the true and everybody else isn't, so I get to judge them all day, every day, right? Or you start to doubt, am I really right? Am I really true? And now you live with this guilt and fear. What if we change that belief? More aligned with the kingdom of heaven. What if we believe God loves everyone equally? God loves everyone equally, and we're all on this very complex journey of having our minds more aligned with the kingdom of heaven. That's more humbling, that's more accepting, it's more wonderful. How about we think differently about the world? What if you believe the world was all gonna burn? Some of us, again, were raised in that. For those of us who are maybe you know, 40 years old and older, we might have been raised with this idea that it's all gonna burn. It's all gonna burn, get me out of here. You know, God, I'm, we're gonna escape, and this world's gonna burn. If you're raised in that, well, how is that gonna impact how we treat the world around us? Are we gonna really invest in this world? Are we gonna care about this world? Are we gonna care about, you name it, fill in the blank? Are we gonna care about healthcare? Are we gonna care about education? Are we gonna care about the environment? Well, not if it's all gonna burn, right? But what if we think different? What if we believe the world can become the kingdom of heaven? And for some of you, that sentence is like, you've got to be kidding me, right? There's a new book out, brand new book. I laughed when I saw it, I saw it this morning. 25 reasons the end is near. That came out like this week. Like, are we still doing that? I mean, how long are we gonna say the world's coming to an end before we think, hmm, maybe God is more interested in saving the world and having the world become the kingdom of heaven than condemning the world and burning the world? What if we changed our way of thinking? How radically freeing and fun would that be? Now we're invested in this world. It's like, this world matters. Everything matters in this world. Every person matters. You know, everything we can embrace and say, this is a wonderful journey towards making this world a little more like heaven. What did Jesus say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, this world matters and this world's gonna become more like heaven. The band behind me is telling me I'm late. So we're gonna close with a wonderful, wonderful song that is from Lauren uh, uh, Daigle, Daigle, and um, it's called You Say. And um, you heard of that song? Yes, beautiful, yes, it's awesome. Now it started as a, she's a Christian artist, and it started as a Christian song, then it just took off, took off. Where is Delaney? Delaney, come on out here. Delaney's gonna sing this song, and by the way, we are so happy to have Delaney on this stage. What a beautiful voice. This song is really about believing and receiving what God says about us. And I know this song uh, touched your life as well. Um, why? Yeah, we love this song. It's called You Say, and that you is God. And it's just saying that, you know, I don't care what, what anybody says about me, what I've been told before, what I think about myself. The only thing that matters is what God says. Yeah. Yeah. And if we can believe that, it's changing of the mind that, that has our belief in God's grace and God's love that he's a heavenly father, that he loves us. He doesn't condemn us, he's not distant from us, he's not angry with us, he is right here and he loves us and he doesn't see our failures, he sees a perfect daughter, he sees a perfect son and to believe what God says about us makes all the difference in the world. 
that we can believe what God says about others, that we're a, a wonderful global community of people who are really on this journey together to, to discover more of who God is and what he says about us. Yes. So let's do this. Let's sing. You will have every victory.